data visualization is the presentation of data in a way that emphasizes certain qualities about that data. Data visualization can be used to prove a specific point, or it can be used as a depiction of a data set to be explored. Data visualization is used in consumer software products, as well as back-end engineering systems such as logging data. As tools for data visualization have improved, data applications can consume more data at a faster pace. Browsers and mobile phones have improved, giving us the power to render high-fidelity, complex visualizations in near real-time, and back-end systems and protocols have also improved, bridging the gap between the front-end and the back-end. Sherman Wood and Chad Loomley are engineers working on Jaspersoft, an embedded analytics tool from TIBCO. Embedded analytics is a type of software that allows for the creation of data visualizations inside of an application. Sherman and Chad join the show to discuss techniques for data visualization and how the field has evolved. Full disclosure, TIBCO is a sponsor of Software Engineering Daily. Chad Lumley and Sherman Wood, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, thanks. So today we're talking about data visualization, and data visualization is mostly made up of charts and graphs. We know how these charts and graphs relate to software engineering. We're always studying the analytics of our software systems. But more recently, data visualization has also become important in in the end-user application. So you have consumers that want data visualizations from their finances or from their fitness tracking software. There's a wider range of software that business people use as well as consumers. You have more companies becoming data-driven. How has the field of data visualization changed over the last decade? With the latest developments in like front-end design, I mean, computers are so fast right now that we can offload a lot of that back-end technical stuff to actually on the front end. So we can handle a lot more. So we're able to put these more powerful charting applications in the front end and with more interactions. And by the front end, I mean the the, uh, the client-facing side of the application. And it's more interactive now. There's lots of libraries available and uh, able to interact with the data. Does that apply to, to mobile as well as desktop web? Yeah. So the client-facing part of the application. So, I mean, users can basically we're able to get, so mobile phones are more powerful now, computers are more powerful now. So we're able to put more powerful charting applications in front of the user and let them interact with it. So that's a huge advantage. And also the way we handle data in the front end is a lot more, can do a lot more with data, a lot, handle a lot more large transactions of data. So yeah, I mean, definitely from an interaction standpoint, it's, it's definitely a lot better than it used to be. Yeah. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Can you go deeper on the data handling part of things? Because we a while ago, we did a bunch of shows about the distinction between batch and streaming. And we were mostly talking about backend applications. But this is uniformly true across the application stack that streaming data is becoming easier to deal with. Not that we're, we've stopped using batch, but can you tell me about what abstractions on the front end provide better streaming interactivity? Yeah. So one form is uh, sockets, IO. And basically, it's just that's just one method where we can receive this streaming data, which is open up a channel and just receive this really nicely formatted stream of real-time data. And then so now we're 
letting users interact with this data that's real time. They can see exactly. I mean, I use it every day uh, to catch the bus. You know, I need to see how how fast I need to run to the bus. We can handle a lot more of these real time interactions. It's pretty nice. And and also the widgetry in the applications, the, the actual visualization of that whatever that data that is, is able to deal with those streams, right? It's not, it's not like a, a typical, you know, old style, you know, request response type of thing. It's more, you've got the widgetry is able to receive the stream and process it and generate the result, which, uh, you, know, you know, for a long time, there was not, not the way things were working. Also, people's expectations of, of speed and so on is, you know, a higher, we've got better networks and, you know, it's not, it's, it's four and 5G now rather than two or whatever sort of thing as well. So all these things have, have changed the, the expectations of the, of the consumer. With widgetry, you're essentially talking about the API contract between the backend developer and the frontend developer, I think, because I remember developing like charting based applications back in college. That was like 2013, I think. And I used some off the shelf charting libraries or open source things. And it was kind of painful to fetch from APIs. It was painful to do batch processing because you had to do a lot of coding on the front end to, to, as you said, to do that request response. And so are you saying that that's moved into the abstraction of the front end component where these things handle the data influx at, at a, in a more a fashion that's a more harmonic relationship between the back end and the front end? I think a couple of answers to that. So one is the widgetry, the chart or whatever has got, you're able to just take a, a streaming data set and have that update the visualization in real time. And that's actually managed for you automatically once you get the connection basically correct and formatted. There is still always, you know, what I find is there's still always that, you know, there's some data manipulation that needs to go on at some level. So I don't know what would be one, like I've got a, you know, the, the visualization needs like a tree data structure to render its particular thing. I've got this streaming data set coming in, which is like blip, 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 blip. I've got to take the the individual element in the stream and apply that to the tree. So that then the visualization updates. There's still that stuff that needs to go on. Chad, what are the other basic software building blocks that have improved data visualization? Definitely kind of these standardized front-end frameworks are good because a lot of times oh, the knowledge is out there People, I mean, odds are somebody's already kind of figured this out, how to do this, if there's some problem. So that's that's nice having these kind of more standardized front-end frameworks to use where people have already kind of integrated in these solutions. So that's, that's really handy uh, to have uh, modern. What are the prototypical challenges in the field of data visualization? What has not changed despite the improvements? When we started, it was some things about what's happening with data visualization. I, I talked about, I mentioned user experience, you know, so you still got to design this stuff. It has to make sense for the end consumer. So that is still there. There is still always the data mess the, that you've got. I've, I've got a particular visualization that I want to want to display. How do I get, what, how do I, what data do I need to even get there? That may have to be developed and designed somewhere else. So you often see 
microservice after microservice being created to support individual visualizations. And all these things take time to develop and, and so on. I, you know, I'm often seeing, because of the way the, the roles that you have in, in an application development crew, right? Often you'll see there'll be people who are focused on the front end work, the actual JavaScript and single page app and, and you know, the, the JavaScript framework side of, side of things. And you'll have others who are focused on the data or the back end side. So when you get that sort of situation, you will find that the front end people will be waiting for the back end people to give them the data sort of thing, right? So that is just, you know, the logistics of having to do these sorts of applications normally. Yeah, and from the UX UI side, it's really just making useful visualizations that people can actually use, data that actually makes sense, which is a common problem. People just dump a bunch of data on the page and they're like, look, but it's not really actionable. It's not really, in I mean, it shows you an overview, but it doesn't actually help you do anything. So that's that's kind of a one common pattern we see with, with applications and me personally working with them is that that's why you need to apply that design to the visualizations. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll catch your personas, right? Who are these yeah. people? What are they actually, what is their background? What, what information will they want to consume and what form should it take to, you know, get them to that, you know, right information to the right person at the right time, as, you know, as quickly as possible type of thing, rather than having to process, like look at a whole raft of numbers and, and that sort of thing, which they have to go and dig through, right? So that design thing is 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 critical. And it's almost like a, a UX person's responsibility. What's the division of labor between a UX designer and a front-end designer that's actually coding these data visualizations? Obviously, there's some times where this is combined into one role, but how have you seen that division of labor between designers and front-end developers? Sure. I've seen it both ways, where it's one person does everything and where it's broken up. I mean, I prefer it where I have a designer, you know, and me, the actual implementation of it, because it's good to have that back and forth. You know, so they, they design something that's interesting, visually appealing, and makes sense to the users. And then I have to basically translate that, you know, into the actual visualization and a lot of times they, the interactions, like they need to be kind of adjusted because a lot of times they can't think of every single scenario possible. And so I'm there to kind of like, okay, this is how it's actually working. Now let's kind of get, maybe we need to redesign this part. So it's definitely a, it's a back and forth process. It's not just like I make this or I design this, you make it, you know, I think the best kind of workflow is definitely to have it split up, but I'm sure it's not for every case. I've also heard there was this uh, this this podcast I did a while ago with an investor, and he was an investor that had that uh, had had written a book called "Winning with Data." It's uh, Tomas Tungas, and one of the things he talked about in that book was how when he worked at Google, there was this thing that he encountered called the data breadlines, and that was uh, basically, you know, whatever two thousand one, two thousand five, something around somewhere around then. If you wanted to get data, like a nice little csv file or json file or whatever you have to go to like the data science team or the data engineering team and say like hey can i have the nightly report of the advertising analytics and you're waiting in line because there's somebody that has to write a job to get you that data so this idea of the data breadline where it was this imp these impoverished 
uh, front-end and middleware developers who had to request data from the data engineers from the back-end teams. And then once that data actually makes it to uh, the middleware developers, the microservices developers, then they have to talk to the front-end developers, and the front-end developers have to talk to the UX designers, and it's just this bottleneck. And over time, it, it feels like it's become more optional, like that you have the option to consolidate some of those interactions into the into the more vertical verticalized systems and i mean i know chad you you basically said that like it's still preferable to have some breakdowns have some division of responsibilities but what are the advantages to you know where where we are 10 15 years after the data breadlines and we can have we can use these high level highly verticalized systems or, or how good are these highly verticalized systems can't is it at the point where a ux designer can essentially go to a self-serve data tap and build their entire dashboard end to end or do we still need some interaction from the developers you know some interaction perhaps from the back-end people what does it look like in the most abstract low friction scenario so it depends on the scenario so that scenario you gave of you know, the data breadline, that is pretty typical even today with a lot of the sort of data science world, right? You've got this some group who's responsible for the analysis and the data wrangling and so on. And the application, the UX side is saying, well, we want to see this. Where is that? I don't know. We're going to have to go and sort that out, right? And then, oh, and then I want that. Once we've worked out that, then we need to get that on a on-demand basis. Like, you know, let's click, and you know, we need to have it appear, you know, when the app needs it, when the when the consumer needs it, sort of thing. And that, you know, those sort of finding the data and then making it sort of operationally available can be still an incredible sort of mess. I mean, what, what's the stat that you see in the on the data science side? It's like, well, a data scientist spends, you know, 60 or more percent of their time wrangling data rather than doing data science, right? So, you know, so that's still a big hesitation. So if you, in a lot of cases, you know, like when we, you know, Jaspersoft deals with a lot of people who are putting visualizations on, on top of an application. So the data has already been curated in a lot of ways. The visualizations may be using that data in you know, maybe not originally consistent ways or expected ways, but the data tends to be more available, so it's less effort, and you have less of a less of that data breadline uh, sort of thing going on. But it's still, you know, it's still a, a continual problem. So you know, and then there's this thing of well, oh, I need to write, you know, if, even if the data's there, I've still got to write a microservice to go on pull it into that front end and stream, and stream it or whatever up into up into where the, where the consumer is actually working or you know, interacting with the, with the system. So, you know, there's still that sort of mechanic, get the data, wrangle it, make it all right, then, you know, then deliver it type of thing on, in an on-demand way is still that, is still that overall process. I'd like to get to talking about the available tool set for building data visualizations. But first, I want to talk a little bit about examples. You both use plenty of software in your day-to-day lives, both as developers and as consumers. Can you give me a few examples of data visualization products that you use, maybe things you purchase as a consumer, 
or like maybe there's a banking application you, that particularly stands out to you as useful, or maybe you like some internal monitoring software. What are your your best examples of data visualization products in your everyday life? Well, I mean, my personally is Mint. I think just being able to, you know, categorize all my spending and budget's really important to me. So uh, I'm kind of a stickler for it. So I like going in there and being able to break it down into categories. And, and actually, I can go in there and manipulate my own data, which I think is very, that interaction with your data, I think is excellent. Being able to go in there and re- re-tag things and categorize, because that's what a lot of the data wrangling is in data science is categorization. You know, I think now they have machine learning that does that kind of stuff. And But that's, that's an example of probably my favorite right now, as far as visualizing data and allowing the users to have a good experience with it and being able to interact with it. You know, Jaspersoft has been helping applications do data visualization either from straight like document type report type of things as well as um, embedded visualizations in their apps for, for many years. The, probably the, the best sort of example of that is Waggle, who we worked with quite a few years ago. Um, they provide a automated curriculum for schools who are doing the core curriculum in the US. They were an independent startup, I think originally started from McGraw-Hill. They came at us with a 60-page UX spec saying this is the the dashboards that I want to give my students and the school administrators and the teachers and the parents about how the class or the student is actually performing. And so they they built that with, you know, so it was very specific look and feel, very guided experience through the whole set of ideas around how how you sort of look at the student performance. They'd cute things like, you know, the flock, you know, pigs flying and that sort of stuff sort of cartoonified the, the UX for and all the metrics and so on to make it really simple and relevant for that, for their end audience. And so they won a lot of awards. They went out of business for a while. They just come back and now they're part of Horton Mifflin, the big, the big uh, educational publisher as well. So they're, you know, I really love working on that. They were the, the first time that we really did deep embedding with Jaspersoft and I haven't seen a better process since. So That's a pretty interesting example because... You hear this term, the consumerization of IT today, which is like a very buzzwordy term, but there's a lot of truth to it. And basically the idea is there are elements of Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter that, you know, to some extent they've kind of like, they, they hook you, right? Like the likes and the animations and, and little, you know, buttons and popping noises and tinkle noises and things like that. But to some extent, they're actually those are useful little tools because they can they can clue the user in that something is important or you know something has changed. You can you can use them with varying degrees of subtlety. Obviously, we've seen these things be kind of used in a, in a somewhat uh, abusive fashion by some of the the social social products that uh, really need to get, to get you to click on ads and stuff. But you look at something like Slack. Or, you know, even Google Docs, really. Like, you you see usage of cartoony kind of things, animation kind of things that can really be productive. And part of the reason we've been able to do that is because of these improvements in abstraction. Because we're no longer kind of thinking about, like, can I just get this basic 
horrible looking line graph to represent my uptime of my service. We've moved beyond that era to can we make like flying pigs and animations and stuff? So when we think about the 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 lineage of tools that we've been using to build these kinds of data visualizations and you know go from kind of the era of I'm just thinking of the the analytics and monitoring products that I used in my first couple jobs and you know the kind of pre-mint.com charting and and financial stuff when we think about the lineage from those early data visualization building blocks to today give me your perspective on how the tooling for building these data visualizations has evolved the, I, I had a, I was discussing this or presenting this internally to some of our folks here, but where did this all come from I think it was driven by um, things like the iPhone and that original sort of or that evolving expectation about what user experience should be set an expectation with people about how they wanted to consume information. Sort of alongside that, you know, sort of in parallel, I don't know what the timing was, Google came out with material design, which had a really very broad and compelling design aesthetic, which included things like animation, use of color, and so on, right? And so what's actually happened now is that people are expecting that sort of rich experience and the on the design side it's the challenge for the designers to come along and actually pro- provide the, that sort of crisp inf- you know information in a crisp way in an expected way in an accessible way sort of all the way through it right so what you see now with applications is everything sort of moved to that more material design sort of viewpoint you look back five or more years a web application which is doing something operational, look like a desktop app, right? No longer. You go into Workday nowadays, which is, you know, a leading software as a service, you know, human resources, uh, payroll and so on sort of uh, system. And it's got a very, very different experience. It looks, you know, very close to that, that what you were expecting on your, on, on your, on your Android or your iPhone sort of sort of experience there. So that's not quite answering the question on the tooling. So, you know, with all, with, with this progression, also the, you know, the, the, as, as Chad started, the, the network, the machines in it, and, you know, the devices on it have all gotten faster and faster, more, more capable. So again, we're, and, you know, things like, but now we're doing everything in JavaScript, so much in JavaScript that we used not to, you know, we'd have to do more on the server side or something like that. We can rely on the network and the processing power on the end device to give these rich experiences. So, and it's a lot of it's been driven by, originally it was all single page application sorts of things which were done in a sort of a very general sort of generic way. And then we started to think about, oh, we've got this bootstrap thing. It's going to you know, make everything sort of responsive. And then, you know, the, and, you know, then alongside that work, there were frameworks like, you know, uh, jQuery, Django, etc., that w- were providing these rich widget sets. And now it's sort of, you know, there's just an explosion of different visualization libraries and so on that you can just inherit and plug in, you know, DeckGL from, from Uber, which is like, you know, data science mapping, you know, 
in your browser type of thing. So, you know, it's it's been just a huge explosion over time. So a lot of it, a lot of the expectations are set by this sort of evolving, like we see a visualization, we can somebody else comes along and does the next thing or makes it easier to use and develop and just sort of keeps going from there. What you alluded to there with Workday, a Workday is actually an interesting example because that's like an old, I've never used where I don't use Workday, but that's a company that's doing really well. And I would assume they've invested in resources in updating the UI. I mean, you see this kind of thing with older companies that have stayed successful through the years. I think Zendesk is maybe another good example. Other companies have not invested as much in refactoring their UI, but my sense is that it's becoming easier to refactor a legacy UI. I don't have any data to back that up, but do you guys have any perspective on what it takes to refactor and re-architect a UI these days? Is it getting significantly easier? And what, what are those patterns for refactoring your data visualizations? I don't think it's easier. <laughs> it's still, it, I mean, it's still quite a bit of work. I mean, that's that's actually what a lot what I do in consulting is just a lot of companies just want to refresh. They just want to like, it's worth the time to actually put in to completely refactor the front end to their customers and to reach new customer bases. So I think it's totally worth it for them, but it's definitely not easy to over to, I mean, pretty much, I mean, cause what, what I've, I've had experience doing is just coming in and they're like, this is what we had and we need something better. And then, so you have the design pass. The designers will go through and analyze the application and kind of distill it down. Cause over the years, a bunch of junk has been added to it and they'll actually distill it down to what it needs. Like I've seen so many dashboards and so many visualization software where it's just like data just dumped and it's just, there's no interpretation of it at all. And then that's where the design comes in where you're going through and distilling this information. Okay. Talk to the users. What, what do you want this to do? And then they'll, you know, actually sit down and talk to them. And then that's how you refactor. I mean, it's not just like completely one-to-one relationship between the apps. I mean, you want to make it useful. I think that's the trend right now is definitely doing that. And I think it's a great trend, you know, makes people actually want to use their software, their jobs. And stuff. Yep. So yeah, I mean, you know, with Jaspersoft, we're we're dealing a lot with people who have got some application which has been around. You know, some what is it? Um, I'm dealing with one large uh, global financial services uh, organization that has got all this stuff sitting in MVC COBOL that produces character-based, like, you know, character-based reports and and screens and that sort of thing. It's like we want to modernize this. It's like okay. You need, you know, what's the design is the starting point, and then then it gets into the you know, as Chad was alluding to. Well, now we've got now we've got that design there. Have you got the resources to use modern technology? Right. Often there's there's uh, I'm dealing with a lot of people who are moving, you know, take going from like an on-prem sort of deployment, which may be running on an enterprise that's like within their data center type of thing, and it's all got to go to the cloud. It's like, well, are the same technical choices that you had that worked on the on-prem stuff going to work in the cloud? Probably not. Oh, and there's this thing called containers. What does that all mean? Or, you know, AWS, I can use all these services and that sort of thing. But then, of course, you know, with it all, the user experience and the data visualizations of the side sort of moves all along with that too. You've mentioned something a couple of times, embedded data visualization, and, and that is a technique that contrasts with the use of general 
data visualization libraries. Can you describe the difference between embedded data visualization and general data visualization libraries? Yeah, we talk about, on the Jaspers of end, we talk about embedding the visualizations because typically, you know, for historic, like, business intelligence types of tools would provide, they provide a complete user experience. They would, you know, you'd, you'd, go, you'd go into the tool and it'd give you all the dashboards and the navigation and and uh, all the reports and all that stuff. It was all within, all within that tool, in, within that tool. And this is part of the reason why people, you know, the, the, there wasn't a broad use or adoption of business intelligence across, say, an organization because it, what, the information was not where people were experiencing it. So what we've been doing on the on the JasperSoft, and we coined the term embedded BI, but it's really embedded data visualization. It's like, no, you want to make these visual, the, the visualizations that are coming out of this rich uh, set of data, which is curated, and then be able to present visualizations on top of that you know, into a portal or an application, right, where people are wanting to experience it. They want to make it interactive. You want to give the developer control to, you know, get, uh, you know, move on a workflow across the different visualizations so that it's consistent and makes sense for, in terms of user experience. So that's the sort of shift that we've we've been talking about. So in a data visualization library, there are different ways that data can get ingested by the system. Are there different data ingestion patterns for an embedded data visualization versus a, a just a general UI tool? Well, I just just quickly, uh, you know, there, there there are sort of the the two forms of it. You can do as you were sort of talking about originally, you know, um, Jeff, about the you had to get the data from somewhere and you you bind it all into the visualization and then you yeah, on the server side and then you throw it at the throw it to the client right that sort of server side rendering and, and data wrangling and all that sort of thing that's old school it doesn't you know tends not to be the way anymore do typically you've got the the visualization machinery now running in the front end and and the the back end gives the right data to that visualization right and then the visualization processes it and and renders it up, or that could be that streaming data or whatever sort of thing. There's more smarts in the front end nowadays. So that's sort of really the two modes that I sort of sort of see happening there. Yeah, and definitely in the, the front end, it's more capable now of handling any kind of like, uh, like you can just hand the front end a data set now, pretty large one. They actually even have front end databases that you can use where you can actually just store tons of data and manipulate it. It's a lot easier now for the front end to be able to actually not rely on the back end to do a lot of the the data grouping and organization and stuff. You can actually do it on the front end. It's not the best thing to do, but it's but it can do it. Like if you have if you have an application that needs to be very interactive, you can handle all that in the front end. You don't need to just make a call to the back end, have the back end do your operation, send it back, and then you reload the front end. You can actually do that all in the front end now. I mean, computers are really powerful, especially in phones, especially phones are, mm. phones can do a lot. Yeah. What was that? Some of the deck GL demos, like let's throw a million data points at the, you know, at visualization running yeah. in the browser. It's renders, you know, it's uh, drawing away on the canvas like crazy and doing all that sort of stuff up there. So, yeah. You mentioned that deck GL project a couple of times. Can you describe that in more detail? That's a, so you said it's come, come, came out of Uber. A lot of the uh, larger, 
internet or you know software internet-based companies, um, Uber has got a variety of visualizations that they they open source. What is it? So I'm looking at uh, like uh, Airbnb originated a project called which is now called Superset, and that's just about to go under 1.0 with the uh, with the Apache Software Foundation. That's a complete data access and data visualization uh, platform that's going to be nice and open source, right? And it can plug in this vast variety of different open source li- uh, JavaScript libraries for the actual visualization. So DeckGL, what else? I think just seeing the other day that Uber's got uh, React Viz and other visualization libraries. So DeckGL, because you know Uber's all about all about vehicles running around the place and that sort of thing. This DeckGL is a very sophisticated mapping visualization library with with lots of you know a lo- lot of the the sort of analytics on the actual mapping data is actually happening within within the framework that's going to be running in your browser rather than the server uh, the, the server side the back end generating all the analytics and, and the, the front end just rendering it so that's another thing you see there's a lot more you know capabilities in these various JavaScript libraries to do not just data manipulation but a lot of real analytic work tensorflow TensorFlow in your browser, you know, that sort of thing, right? So lots of fun up there. Let's come back to the topic of an embedded visualization. Can you talk about some common patterns and use cases for embedded visualization? Yeah. So typically, back to that comment about material design, there's a lot of expectations about the way uh, an application should look and interact and, and feel. Very From the pure data visualization, and you see a lot of very dashboard style of UIs, you know, multiple elements, which are driven by parameters, you know, you update the parameter and they, you know, the, all the elements on the page change, or there's sort of navigational flow, I click on one thing and that changes something else in the screen and so on, you know, that, that sort of, so all those sort of individual visualizations need to be created somehow, and then all wired together. Right, you know, that's sort of one sort of style. A lot of people want to like try and do all the dashboards together, like in, as a dashboard is like a single object. We do that in JavaScript a bit, but a lot of the time it's up to the, the web developer to you know build the individual visualizations and then and then wire them all up. And another thing that we see a lot and why people use JavaScript quite a bit is it's not just you know the data visualization is like a chart on the screen, but it, you know people want to take data away from the app so we have a the whole reporting thing as well like i click on something and i get a pdf or an excel or something like that is is also something that that people want to get and probably the last thing that is really like the we, we see is like a, a best practice is it's a variation of what chad was saying about mint he's able to go into mint and go and change some things and that actually is part of the application that you've now tagged stuff up, right? So when you've delivered an application to an audience, they often have more, more sort of, and uh, more and evolving information needs. It's just if you've got a set of visualizations up there, you can bet your bottom dollar that people we are will be asking for more. Okay, so how do you create more? Is it something? Is that a is that a development task to do the requirements and then? Um, create new pages and different workflows and how to get to those, that information and so on. Or do you give, you know, do you think about self-service? What can the 
what do you want to give the audience to serve themselves in the context of your application? So on Jaspersoft, we have a in-browser like drag and drop way to create a just, you know, maybe charts and cross tabs and maybe just a, a listing of data, guided, you know, curated data uh, experience behind the scenes. So they people can satisfy their own needs. Oh, I've, I, I can go and create this visualization. I can stick that in a dashboard. I can run that as a report, you know, and have it downstream for other, for other processes or myself. You know, that's the sort of, we, we see that quite a bit, that whole sort of, that range of, uh, different styles of embedding right now. Yeah, and, and actually using, I mean, so in, embedding the application is great for, for the front end because I can just stick in, you know, a, a, it's like where the chart actually goes or where the visualization will go on the page. And that's actually managed elsewhere. That's kind of what the, uh, the Jaspersoft stuff does. So it's nice because I can just stick something on the page and, uh, allow like the business analysts and stuff, they can take care of the visualizations. They can, it's, it's almost like kind of putting a placeholder. So it takes a little pressure off of, of a me. And also it helps them keep the visualizations modified up to date or, and they can change it whenever they want to from whatever platform they're using the bag. That's just from what I've seen from, from embedded applications. So Jaspersoft is an embedded visualization tool that you've both worked on. Describe the spec for building an embedded visualization tool? What does it have to be able to do and how do you go about architecting a tool like that? So I was the architect originally quite a few years ago now. I can probably talk to that the best. So first off, you've got a, the platform is got to do uh, quite a few things. You want to be able to do things like connect data and have that managed in a secure way, for example. You want to then have a way of, you know, obviously the have that range of data visualizations available to you so that people can just consume it. And then, you know, then it's like, it's all about what are the APIs into that environment. So I can say from the outside, an application, a consumer in the application can say, give me this visualization and the actual infrastructure goes all the way through and uh, and can render that up to where they need it so and you know so there's you know you need to be quite a quite an array of APIs. sometimes it's just it could be uh you know just simple rest calls or something like that it could be you know let me give, give me a complete dashboard you know a complete set of visualizations as a as a logical whole and, and include that within my within my front end then it's all things about security around you know when individuals interacting with the visualizations and the data, they should only be able to see and do the things that you want them to. So the platform needs to be aware of who they are and its rules in place to control data access and control the visualizations so that uh, they're, uh, they're not going outside their guardrails. And then, of course, it's also scalability and so on. When you've got like, maybe a, quite a large audience you know, uh, all demanding, you've got to uh, have the have the platform be able to scale up to allow all that to happen at once. Yeah, and from the front-end perspective, it's always nice to have a good sort of Java, JavaScript interface written like in pure JavaScript, you know, maintains all its dependencies, so I'm not going to have to handle dependencies. Just have like the self-contained little interface that has the has well, all the API, has its own API that, that I don't have to mess with 
interacting directly with whatever the service is. So it's nice to have that layer. That's the way I would architect kind of the front end portion of it is just have this nice interface that I can use in the front end to call the back end and not have to worry about dependencies not have to worry about bringing in styles for the charts and stuff like that. Everything kind of maintains itself. And how does an embedded visualization library work alongside other front end libraries? Like if I'm using embedded visualization, how is it integrating with React? What's the division of responsibility between what I'm building with an embedded visualization tool and what I would build with standalone React components or the, you know, for example, if I wanted to use that open source library from Uber that you mentioned earlier? So I guess with the React side, so if you're just using an embedded application, I wouldn't say it's easier. It's well, so using it with React, it, re- it really doesn't, you know, depend on React. It's really just me putting a visualization in the application. What's cool is that you can actually, so like with JasperSoft, and, and you can actually like just use the data instead of the actual visualization and actually plug in your own type of tool. And then you can use React to handle the data on our side and then um, use custom visualizations and stuff. So React is good for data management. If you use it in conjunction with uh, this kind of Redux, which is kind of a way you handle a state in the application. So uh, yeah, does that answer the question? I'm not sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, Sherman, would would you elaborate on that at all? Yeah, I mean, I think to to Chad's point, you know, we... You know, we, we can use, we do the embedding in a couple of different ways. You know, you can, as Chad was saying, just use uh, JasperSoft as a data service. There's APIs to to basically, you know, get, oh, I don't know, list of values or you know, JSON structures or whatever. And then, you you know, then you can use whatever JavaScript front end, like a DeckGL or a, we did some things with the Dibco um, mapping service called. Uh, Tipco Geo Analytics to sit on top of data that was coming out of JasperSoft and just use the native those native APIs. The other bit of it is JasperSoft. Its main thrust is to you define the data visualizations using the uh, the JasperSoft toolset. You have them sitting now in within the JasperSoft service behind the scenes, and then you use JavaScript the JavaScript library. Visualize.js or REST calls to go and uh, retrieve the visualization and include them in the page as single units, which can then be made interactive by the by the web developer. So, in that sort of the visualization generation side, it's server side rendering basically, and then it's a relatively simple API to actually include them into the React app. You know, it's a few lines of JavaScript rather than hundreds of lines of D3 or, you know, something like that. That's all a lot simpler and more productive for the web developer to go and get these, to have these interactive visualizations happen in a controlled manner with security and other things compared to, you know, writing it all by hand in JavaScript and microservices on the back end and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's the main advantage, just kind of a plug and play type uh, where you just, I don't have to mess with the, you know, the visualization part. I can just put a, put the container on the page and interact with the API, and then that handles the way it looks, and they can handle that in the back end. So that's kind of the advantage of having an embedded visualization like that is that it's taking a lot of load off the front end. Just another approach. Sherman, you've you've been working on JasperSoft and embedded visualizations for a pretty long time. 
we've also talked about you know throughout this conversation we've talked a lot about the evolution of the developer of the the changes in the data visualization libraries the changes in the requirements for data visualization the improved user interfaces and the changing requirements and expectations for users on that side how has the architecture of jaspersoft and and you know the resultant or i guess the the product requirements for jaspersoft how has the project evolved since you started working on it it has been a while. And so we, when we started the Jasperport server project in the mid-2000s, it was because it was a, a Java-based platform that was much more around the programming language side. So it's open source in Java, and we're sort of doing the same things as the other business intelligence vendors like a business objects or whatever sort of did. So we had our portal that people logged into and they just experienced it, that user experience just through whatever user, you know, UX that uh, was available within Jaspersoft, right? So that was, but it always had APIs in it that you could do different things. You could do some limited embedding with an iframe, but it was still Jaspersoft, you know, running it through it all. So now about five years ago, because we'd already been doing embedded work with sort of reports and other things, and we had our APIs and so on, and it was like, oh, well, we can see this. Everything's going single-page app now. And developers want, you know, applications want this richer, more fine-grained sort of approach to experiencing the visualizations that we can do in JasperSoft. So that's when we went down the create our own JavaScript library, visualize.js, that you could just plug in and get access to all that same rich visualization power that you've got within the within the JasperSoft environment. So it has evolved a lot. I mean, you know, now we still have a, a web user interface, but I'd say that most of our customers only use that for, say, administrative purposes. All the rest of the the uh, the experience has been has happened either embedded or you know sort of batch style production reporting or something like that and there's nobody directly interacting with that service except for like I said administrative purposes sort of thing so the that sort of been an evolution there the other other sort of thing that we've we've seen over time is um, you know the uh, it's been the technologies like single page applications or we're doing things with you know node for example, JavaScript on the back end too. And, you know, we how do you fit this JasperSoft platform into that? You know, we run, we can run in containers and, and that sort of thing. It still is all Java-based, but people only interact with it inside an API. So we now are in your container world um, or your um, multiple virtual machines or whatever and JasperSoft would say be one or a couple of those within your environment sort of stuff so that's sort of a that sort of architectural side and move to the cloud is changing a lot of things as well what's your vision for how the product looks five years into the future well that's the, the thing I've been banging on about for a while I'd have to say that you know the some of those um, the base uh, administrative and development UIs that we have are getting long in the tooth. They're very, they're very powerful and all that sort of thing, but we need to keep up with that. So it needs to go to much more of that sort of material design sort of view. And that's, you know, we're, that's more 
purely sort of on the internal side of JasperSoft, really. You know, it's not something, you know, I don't know whether we'll probably get, you know, richer and easier uh, data visualization creation tools around it. We want to reduce the amount of sort of JavaScript work that people are doing to get to the, the visualizations that we need. So we're continuing to improve, the, improve those tools there. But, you know, at the moment, you can create any visualization you want in JasperSoft. So, you know, just it's, I don't see us better and better APIs, richer, more flexible, better ways to just access data if you need to go and do it inside your app. Those are the sort of things that I would see us see us working on. All right. Final question for both of you. Do you have any other software trends in mind that you think will intersect with data visualization in impactful ways or things that other people might not have thought of? Well, from a front-end perspective, kind of the new trend everybody's going towards is these progressive web apps. And basically, it's kind of like the front-end is turning into a like a native application, like a web application is turning into really like more of a native type layout because with progressive web apps, you could they actually function offline. So it'd be like, so if you had a application with charts and stuff and you went to the website and you were offline or maybe got cut offline, you wouldn't lose the site. You could still see your data. It wouldn't be up to date if it's like real-time data, but you could still see it and interact with it even though you weren't connected to the internet. So see a lot of trends in that direction coming up very soon. It's the progressive. It's def, there's definitely a movement going on right now where everybody's starting to kind of gear their apps towards that because it's a much better experience uh, for the user. And also just you seeing more of these ugly interfaces that you see just disappearing and turning into something nice and pretty. I think as cust- as companies realize that they're you know they need to think of their customers first and how people are using their software. As the same thing with data, you know, especially with data visualization stuff. So that's kind of the trend I see. I hope I see the the, the redesign and stuff, but we'll definitely see a lot more of that. It is happening right now, but I would say that a lot of the apps that I see with data visualizations in them, in some ways, they're relatively straightforward. Limited, you know, because you're not trying to confuse people or anything like that. So you don't see a lot of different visualization types or extreme visualization. You know, you don't really see like infographics like you would expect out of, you know, from a newspaper or something like that being presented inside apps. And that's all down to, you know, your audience, basically what, what it, you know, you want to get that right information, right person at the right time sort of thing and want to make that as easily uh, consumable as possible. So I don't see... I don't see a lot of like data visualization changes from that sort of perspective. I do see as as we go more and more down the machine learning route, there'll be much more, much richer analytics being presented. It's easy; it'll be easy and easy to get to. It's often a competitive advantage for applications that they're now able to get you know richer information because there's maybe sort of automated curation of of the data coming along and then being exposed through the data visualizations. That's the sort of probably where I would see more, you know, it's just easier and easier to hook into that AI ML world and make add add value to the visualizations that people are, are actually interacting with. Okay, guys. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and I want to thank you for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Yeah, great time.